Exodus 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it ye shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honoured upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. My friends, we're looking this evening at this uh, 14th uh, chapter, and my title is uh, Stand Still and Go Forward. Stand Still and Go Forward. Well, there really is just so much in this chapter, and uh, if one was to make all the applications, we'd be here uh, for a very, very long time. Uh, but uh, I can only give you a few, and I'm sure you'll draw out uh, some as we go along of your own uh, meditations. But we left it last week. Israel has come out of the land uh, of Egypt, uh, not by their own power. You remember always it was the Lord and the Lord's hand that brought them out in such a gracious, mighty, undeserving way, we could say even, uh, of, of those people. And how he's, he took them by the hand. And he's leading his people out. Now he's going to be their God. And he's going to be their guide uh, all the way into the promised land. And he's going to uh, lead them uh, all that way. Instead of the shortcut route uh, that was available to them, uh, he takes them, directs Moses to take them the long way around. To go uh, southwards uh, towards the wilderness uh, area, towards Mount Sinai. But he didn't live, leave them uh, without a visible representation of his presence. A fiery, cloudy pillar uh, was ever with them. Suddenly he appeared, never to disappear, until they reached the borders of the land of uh, Canaan. And uh, the Lord, we saw, was in that fiery, uh, cloudy pillar. But something interesting happens here in verse 2. The Lord tells Moses... Uh, what's going to happen, and he says, speak to the children of Israel. There's another change of direction coming up, that they turn and encamp between Pi-Hahiroth and then between Migdal and over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp uh, by the sea. It's a turn away again uh, from the direction that they were going. They were going in a more south-easterly uh, direction, and this city, that or place rather, that they are directed to is more in a southwards direction, taking them more into, a little bit into inner uh, Egypt. Now, we don't know exactly where these locations are, and it's not really that important for us to know, but only that it brought the children of Israel to the edge of the Red Sea, and there they were encamped. Well, the Lord tells Moses, word is going to get back, uh, to Pharaoh, and he's going to come after you. He's going to pursue you uh, with his uh, armies. He's not going to let you go, and the Lord himself is going to harden uh, Pharaoh's uh, heart. But look at verse 4, uh, or rather verse 3. Pharaoh will say, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. They're in confusion. They've lost their way in the wilderness. That's the idea. And they, they, they don't know where they're going. And verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. 
and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And uh, God is going to be glorified here. Pharaoh is going to embolden himself again, and all his servants are going to agree, let's get them back. We've lost their service. Let's bring them back. What have we done? What have we done to let them go? So not so long ago, they were desperate for them to leave the land. But so quickly, now they've changed and they want to bring them back in again. But this is all of the Lord. Even they're coming after uh, the Israelites again, pursuing them. is all of God's uh, making and purposes because God is ultimately going to be glorified when the final judgment uh, falls upon uh, the, the Pharaoh and upon his army. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Maybe people don't like to think about it, but that God is glorified when he judges. God is glorified. We know when people are, mercy and forgiveness is extended to people, and we long for that, but God is also glorified when he brings judgment upon people, and his justice, his justice is seen. That God is righteous. He doesn't bypass iniquity. He must punish sin. And it's a thought uh, for us to dwell on. But I want to take a th uh, think about another thought here. Uh, in, in the Lord telling Pharaoh, this is, uh, telling Moses, this is what is going to happen. He tells him in advance, this is what the enemy is going to do. We, well, we know God knows, the Lord knows everything. He knows the future. Nothing takes God by surprise. And even uh, anything that the devil is planning to do and the schemes and the machinations of the devil against the church. Well, the devil thinks he's got all these traps that he can put in place. But God knows about it before he brings about those attacks and before he uh, is, is, uh, goes against the church. But the Lord knows and even uh, permits them to do, him to do what he does permits him to attack, permits him uh, to uh, maybe even to, to, uh, to attack the people of God, to hinder the work. All these attempts that he makes, uh, he, the Lord knows about it and his, that his intention is to destroy the work. He knows all these things and yet he allows it to happen. Why doesn't he stop it? People ask. Why doesn't, if the Lord knows the devil's going to do these things against his people, against his church, why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he intervene and do things? He knows Pharaoh is going to come after the people of Israel. Why doesn't he stop it and do something to intervene and, and to prevent it all happening? Because God has a, 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 a superior purpose. There's another purpose. His purpose, his plan, uh, he is putting in motion. And part of that plan is using even uh, Pharaoh to bring about that higher purpose. And it's the same with the devil. The devil's in God's hands. He's not a free agent as such, that he can do whatever he likes. He's, he's in God's hands. And even God uses sometimes what the devil does to bring about uh, his purposes and his plan in this world for his glory. For his glory, he permits even some of the antics of the devil against the church. It's often asked about the fall. Why did God allow the fall? Well, he knew the devil was going to come and tempt Eve, and Eve would succumb to the temptation. Why didn't he stop it? Why did he prevent the devil from getting to the Garden of Eden? People often ask this, uh, these kind of questions. Well, 
God has a higher purpose. God permitted it. God even allowed the, the fall of man to happen because we see uh, his name glorified even through that. In what sense, you say? Well, in the sense that uh, Christ had to come and he had to uh, take upon himself our humanity and he's, we see him dying on Calvary's cross. Well, that would never have happened uh, if, if man had retained his righteousness. But we see the Lord glorified. Uh, God is more glorified uh, in that seeing the marvelous things that he did in response uh, to the fall. So uh, the Lord has everything uh, in his hands. Nothing uh, takes him by surprise as in this. Well, as the Lord said to Moses, so it unfolded. And in verse 5, when Pharaoh heard and the people heard about uh, their wandering uh, in the wilderness, they said, why have we done this? We have let Israel go from serving us. And uh, he prepares his chariot and uh, takes his people with him. And in verse 7, he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. Each chariot had uh, two wheels, of course, two horses, and uh, probably two riders. One rider was a charioteer, and the other one uh, was a, a warrior. And though it says here, all the chariots of Israel, Egypt, it's uh, unlikely that every single chariot in Egypt, but all the ones that were available to them, all the ones that were at hand uh, to Pharaoh were pressed into service at this time. And here we see this great and this powerful uh, sovereign, uh, earthly sovereign, chasing. Who is he chasing? Who is he pursuing? Is it another army? Is he going out to fight against uh, uh, another nation, Babylon or something? No. He's going out to pursue his uh, former slaves, to pursue a people uh, who are an untrained army, women and children uh, in abundance, a people who have been weakened uh, by years of slavery. And on the face of it, it seems such an, uh, a, a, a mismatch that he goes out in such a stark way to uh, bring the people back. So, friends, it's no wonder uh, that we read that when the children of Israel saw the chariots coming, they were so afraid. But before we come to that, just this thought about the Pharaoh pursuing the children of Israel. You know, the moment you became a Christian, the moment you come to the Lord, you become a target for the devil. You become, before he left you alone, he didn't really bother about you uh, so much. He maybe tempted you, but nothing, nothing. You're in his kingdom. You are not hurting his kingdom. You are not somebody who was against him. But the moment you become a Christian and you've gone away from him and he's lost control and power over you, well, you become a target for, for, for him and for all uh, those fallen angels, those demons, and they will pursue you. They will be at your heels to tempt you and to cause you to fall and to want to bring you back uh, into their control and under their power. That's the aim of the devil. Oh, friends, we dare not go into the world thinking everything's just fine and wonderful for us. There's an enemy out there who is ever out uh, to trip us up and to bring us, uh, to drag us back uh, into his service, to drag us back into the world, to drag us back 
into our old sins, to, to make, us re, uh, uh, make us his bondservants again. That's what his intention is, to stop us reading our Bibles, to stop us praying, to stop us being spiritually minded. He's out to pursue us to do all these things, to make us cool in our love for Christ, cool in our service for the Lord, cool in our love for the church and the kingdom of God. Oh, if he can do these things, he's very happy. He'll pursue us, uh, even in other ways, to tempt us, to keep us quiet about speaking about the Lord, or to discourage us and to make us uh, think that, oh, what's the use now in some way or other? And he's got so many different ways in which he will try and drag us uh, down and back, bring some scandalous, make us fall into some scandalous sin, and then the name of the Lord is brought into disrepute. So we have to be aware of what he's up to and the way in which uh, he is trying to bring us back. But the children of Israel, well, they saw and heard uh, the chariots, uh, verse 10. <coughs> Just move down there. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. They were very scared when they saw it. They'd gone out of Egypt, actually, you look back at the end of verse 8, they'd gone out of Egypt with a high hand. And the meaning there is they'd gone out with a sense of victory. They'd gone out, oh, triumphant. Oh, they've gone out, we've, we're the winners here. And Egypt, you remember, that the Egyptians gave them lots of stuff to take with them. Whatsoever they asked, they were, they were, it was given to them and jewelry and all, all different sorts of things. And they went out in this confident manner, feeling very, very triumphant, holding their heads up high. There was no fear when they left Egypt. But now, so soon, when they see the chariots of Egypt uh, uh, just behind them, now again they, they resort uh, to fear. And their, their circumstances uh, have changed. Before them is that sea of water, and now behind them, is these Egyptian uh, chariots. And they're terrified. And they cried out, we read, uh, unto the Lord. It wasn't a cry of help at the end of verse 10. It wasn't really a, a prayer, Lord, help us. But it was more a, uh, a cry of despair. A cry not for him to intervene, but more in a complaining way. They, was, they were crying to the Lord. And they particularly turned against uh, Moses, verse 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians, that we should die in the wilderness. Really? <laughs> uh, and sorry, I missed verse 11. Uh, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore, why have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Oh, they're saying it would have been better, Moses, if you just left us to die in Egypt instead of bringing us all this out the way into this wilderness and we dying in this place. And so they complain and grumble against him. But friends, how are we? How are we when our circumstances change? When everything is going well for us and our prayers are being heard, then maybe we're happy. Somebody was telling me not so long ago, oh, everything's against me. Hey, the Lord, I'm praying to the Lord and nothing's going right. And all my circumstances, uh, this is happening and that's happening. And uh, nothing seems to be working well. And he was, 
he was so down and so uh, uh, sad about his situation. And then I saw him the following week, and he'd had an answer to prayer, and something good had happened, and he was up again. <laughs> but that's why all of us, isn't it? We're all like that. We sort of tend to go by our circumstances, just like the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, the heads are high, and then they see the, the, the chariots uh, chasing after them, and they are back down again in, so fear, in, in fear. Well, the Lord had led them to this predicament. The Lord had led the children of Israel into this cul-de-sac and in, into this corner because he's going to try them. He's going to try uh, their faith. This is a time for them to test and prove the Lord. How will they be in this predicament? And how will you and I be in the predicaments of life when we are faced with our own cul-de-sacs and there's no way out and there's no human help available to us? And there's only one way for us to look, and that is uh, to look upwards, whether it's individually or as a church. We may be brought into situations, trials and testings that are testings, friends, of our faith and of uh, a time to prove the Lord. This was a new situation for the children of Israel. And we too were led into new situations in life where we just don't know what to do. Maybe we are perplexed by what's happening to us. Well, that's the moment uh, for us to try uh, and prove uh, the Lord, to depend upon the Lord. But Moses' response <laughs> is a very cool one, isn't it? How would you react when you are provoked with such words like this? Such an ungrateful people, all complaining about me after all I've done for them. No, he doesn't respond at all. But in his, his meekness, He's going to have to get used to this kind of complaints. It's not going to be the first of, of many. Uh, but his response actually full of faith. He's, look at verse 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more uh, forever. Or words of faith. And this is how leaders should be. This is how pastors in the church should be. This is the role of pastors. All of us should be men and women of faith, but especially the pastor. If everyone else in the church is down, well, the, the pastor's role should be to speak in faith and to say, look, we must believe the Lord. We must stick with the Lord and the Lord's word. This is what God will do for us. If These are the promises of God. And to remind the people, do you remember how uh, Joshua and Caleb were, were two of the ten spies, the twelve spies, which had faith. And they said to the people, no, uh, the other ten spies were saying, oh, the, the people, they're like, uh, we're like giants, and uh, they're like giants to us, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And uh, those two, Jacob and Caleb, uh, uh, sorry, Joshua and Caleb, they said, no, we can take them. The Lord will give them into our hands. Oh, men of faith. They, one, one group discouraged the people by their unbelief, and the other two encouraged the people to believe in the Lord. Well, the pastors in the churches must be those who encourage the people to have faith in the Lord, to have faith in the, the things that we do. So what a, so, I'm sorry we keep mentioning these things, but you see a number of churches, isn't it? And the pastors are, what are they saying when they are introducing things into the church which are, are not uh, biblical and they're saying well gospel preaching isn't working 
And we need to bring other things into the church. We need to bring drama. We need to bring, bring the music in because that's going to bring people to Christ. What is it? It's a lack of faith. It's unbelief. We're saying, oh, we don't believe in the preached word of God. We don't believe that this is God's way and means to bring people in uh, to, the, to, him, to Christ and into the church. We, believe, we think uh, we should go this other way because we haven't got time to wait for this. We want some instant success. We want something to happen immediately. And when it doesn't happen, we're not prepared to pray, continue to pray and to wait uh, for God to bless. But the man of faith, will, uh, they, the pastors of faith will say, no, we must stick with the preaching and praying and working uh, for the Lord. Well, Moses, look at his words. Fear not, don't be afraid, he says. Uh, stand still, that is, uh, hold firm, stand your ground. Uh, don't panic. It would have been easy to panic. It would have been easy for them to try and scatter, but there was nowhere really for them to run to. On the left side, they looked as a mountain. On the right side, there's a mountain. In front of them is the Red Sea, and behind them is the chariots of Egypt. So what can they do? Where can they go? They can't pick up arms and fight against uh, the Egyptians. They're not ready for that. They'll be swamped. And uh, here uh, we, we see that the, the Lord says through Moses, uh, stand still, uh, hold your ground, wait and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses says the Lord will do something. The Lord uh, will intervene uh, to save us. Tremendous words of faith. The Egyptians are upon them. Stand still. The situation looks hopeless. Stand still. The Lord will work. The Lord will do uh, something. Verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Stand still in faith. Oh, you know, our Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Sunak, he's telling everyone now to hold your nerve. Hold your nerve. The, the economic situation is terrible. Um, mortgage, uh, cost of living is uh, rising. Uh, mortgage repayments have gone through the roof for so many people. And he says, hold your nerve. Hold your nerve. Things, his expectancy is that things are going to change and that his economic policy is going to bring inflation down and so on. But he doesn't know. He's hoping these things are, are going to happen. It's not an act of faith as such. But here Moses uh, says, stand still uh, and hold firm. The Lord will do something. And it's, he's uh, sure of it. Friends, uh, we also need to stand still at times in, in our own lives, isn't it? When we're brought into those predicaments in life and those trials of life and we don't know which way uh, to turn and we have none to help us and our situation also seems apparently helpless. Let us stand still uh, in faith uh, even then and still trust uh, in the Lord in those times of difficulty. He will uh, make a way of escape. Let us stand still as well, as we've said already, in the things that the Lord has shown us, the way we are to do uh, his work. But then in verse uh, 15, the Lord tells Moses to move from praying to action and to go uh, forward. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. 
seems so contradictory. On the one hand, stand still, and on the other hand, go forward. Well, which one is it? Well, it's both. On the one, on the one hand, they were to stand there and wait in faith, but now, uh, after prayer, uh, they are to go forward, they are to step. Where? Which direction to go forward? Towards the sea, towards the, the shore, uh, towards the waters. That's the direction they were uh, to go in. And as they did that in faith, Moses would, uh, in verse 16, uh, Moses was told to stretch out uh, his rod, uh, uh, the rod in his hand over the sea, and the sea would divide, and the children of Israel would go through the, on dry ground through the midst of the sea. As they approached and came nearer and nearer the waters and Moses' uh, rod was stretched out, the waters would divide and a way would be open for them uh, and they would walk through <coughs> on dry land. Well, friends, that was a wonderful miracle that was going to happen to them. But salvation is just similar. So this is a picture of, of salvation. When we come to the Lord and uh, we're brought, we could say, into another predicament where our sins, how are they going to be forgiven? How are we going to get to heaven? There's no way, there's no human who can help us, no other who can forgive our sins and take us to heaven. Well, on the one hand, we are to uh, stand still. We are to look to Christ. We are to, uh, we come to him doing nothing. We do nothing. We, we say, Lord, I can make no contribution to my salvation. I can add nothing to what you have done. I depend only uh, on you and on you alone and on your grace. Be merciful to me. I can do nothing, Lord. You do that on the one hand, and on the other hand, we have to somewhat go forward. How do we go forward? By exercising faith, by repenting of our sins and turning away from those sins. And as we do both those things, trusting in the Lord and depending wholly on Jesus Christ and turning away from our sins, the Lord works and he saves us and he changes us and he gives us a new heart and gives us a new life. Well, we move on. And then, and again, it's reiterated by the hardening of the hearts of the Egyptians and the Lord getting honor uh, to himself in verse 17 and 18. And then in verse uh, 19, uh, we read these interesting words. The angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it, became, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other or the night. The pillar of fire, uh, cloud and cloudy fire, which had been leading them, was at the front, now moves to the rear of the camp and becomes the protector and defender of the people, just like our Savior. Our Savior is our leader, but he is also the one who is the protector uh, of, uh, of our lives. And Satan, uh, we can see here, just as the Egyptians, they couldn't get uh, through uh, to the people of Israel. Uh, so Satan cannot come near us unless the Lord permits him to do that. 
He cannot come near God's people. You remember with Job, uh, he had to ask for permission. You remember with Peter, the Lord said, I have prayed for, for, for you. Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. Oh, he has to go uh, through the Lord. He cannot come at us directly. The Lord is the one who protects us. Well, there's other things one could say about uh, those verses, but I move on uh, to verse uh, 21. And Moses stretched out his hand uh, over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The Lord sent this strong east wind which blew all night and not only divided the waters into heaps, so that, but also kept the waters up. That was also amazing, that the waters were kept up, 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 up high all that time as the people of Israel went through. And then this other part of the miracle, that wet, soft, sandy seabed became dry land and was so easy for the people of Israel to pass through uh, on that land. And uh, that was another uh, miracle and a mighty one as that. And then verse 22, the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. So as they walking through, can you imagine the scene, imagine you're there, walking through, and you've got uh, all the people around you, but you've got this wall, one wall of water on the left hand, another big wall of water on the right hand. Well, it must have been quite scary. It must have been pretty frightening to see that. and Because uh, uh, you might have thought, well, any moment now, it, it may just give way, and the waters may come and overflow me, and I'll be, uh, I'll be drowned in the, in the sea. But then you looked forward, and you saw Moses and those ahead of you marching on and on, he just kept following, uh, uh, following into the distance and until he reached uh, the other side uh, safely. And so it happened uh, with them. But verse 23, the Egyptians begin their pursuit. And they chase after uh, them with their chariots, even all the ho Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 24, it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, and they drave them heavily. The Lord clogged those uh, wheels in some way, so that they were uh, able still probably to drive, but with great difficulty. And that dry land probably became soft again, and became sandy again. So they were struggling. And so they realized, oh, uh, they said, the Egyptians, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighted for them against the Egyptians. Their escape was impossible. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them, 
But the children of Israel walked upon the dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So friends, this is similar to what we were saying on Sunday, Sunday morning, and the perseverance of the saints, that those who truly trust in Christ, every one of them, whether they're new believers or older believers, everyone will reach the other side. Everyone will be kept safe. Everyone will be saved. If they're uh, old of, of the young children even, they will be saved. But look also at the other side. Those who do not believe in, in Christ are surely uh, will be condemned and will be judged. Just as the Lord said, if we believe in him, we will be saved. But those who do not believe in him shall be condemned. Both, si both sides are certain. So all the more we need to be concerned uh, for those who are uh, perishing. But these two things are certainties in life. And then verse 31, Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Well, friends, as we close, uh, this Red Sea crossing uh, is a symbol of uh, salvation. It's also a symbol of our entrance into heaven, into glory. Uh, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, well, it's a symbol of uh, baptism, and that's quite uh, apt for us as we come up to a baptism uh, this coming uh, weekend. But just as the children of Israel, they went down into the sea, and they left Egypt and the world uh, behind them, and they came out the other side, and from now on it's a new beginning. They're going to live life in a new way with God as their head and God as their leader, and they're going to follow the Lord. So also in baptism, it is uh, something similar. The new convert, uh, when he goes down into the water, well, he's declaring that he's done with the world. He's leaving the world, his old life uh, behind. That life that he lived without, without Christ, without dependence on him, without thanksgiving uh, for the Lord, without love for the Lord, without submission to him. He's leaving that old life behind. And now uh, he's going to live a life as one who is, uh, Christ is his Lord and his Savior. He's going to yield to him. He's going to serve him. He's going to love him. He's going to uh, do what he can uh, for him. He's going to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be his God and his guide through life. It's a wonderful uh, picture for us uh, to think about. Well, may the Lord help us to be still and at the same time go forward in the work that he has given us to do, to, to pray and to work. Amen.